through 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. We continue our study in the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, and we continue today in the book of Luke as we are beginning the uh, announcements of the coming of our Savior, the announcements of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, now that Thanksgiving has passed, everyone is starting to pull out the decorations and getting ready to celebrate uh, the Christmas holidays. And uh, I did not plan this, but thankfully, uh, as we study the life of Christ, it's going to fall out that for the next three or four weeks, we're going to be able to look at the birth of Jesus, and we'll get to see the nativity, and we'll get to see all of the things that we're reminded of as we celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But most importantly, we want to make sure that we see him. And so uh, we do that through the preaching of his word, and today we find ourselves in the book of Luke so let's go ahead and we'll read the text together. I'll give you a couple introductory statements and then we'll break down the text together. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, that holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. <coughs> now, at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country in the city of Judah. To a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in, the, in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. 
He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent away the rich empty handed and he has given help to Israel, his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then she returned to her home. This is the reading of the word of God. We begin the, the Christmas season, and if you, any of you noticed in your bulletin there, I titled the title of the sermon, Mary Knew. Mary did know. Gabriel, the angel, came to her and told her what was going to happen in her life. Um, I've been taught wisely to choose my battles, and I have argued quite often with my mother and my sisters about Mary, did you know? It was a song that was introduced in 1991 by the Gaithers, which is a wonderful Christian group. Uh, their traveling comedian and songwriter is the one that put these lyrics to paper. And it is a beautiful hymn, but it is not biblically accurate. Mary did know. She knew because God came and told her. Mary received the truth of God's word Mary believed the truth of God's word. Mary experienced God's word in her life. And Mary walked out those words. So there may be things like him walking on water that she didn't know was going to happen. But the truth of the matter is Mary did know. Now please, enjoy that hymn. I have a dear brother in Christ who swears that through hearing that hymn and going to church and hearing that hymn and hearing the preaching that day, that he come to know Christ. So I'm not bashing the hymn. I'm just telling you, Mary knew. Yes. Right? Now, in the past and in our Sunday school classes, we have been learning about the Word of God and that it is through knowing the Word of God that we know God. And we also have learned that in diverse ways and in various manners, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of the church, uh, up to the time of Christ, that God used different kind of ways to speak to people. And in this example, just like the example last week, we see that God used an angel to come and proclaim his message of truth to Mary, to Elizabeth, to Zachariah. And next week we'll see he's going to actually have to put Joseph on the straight and narrow because, of course, Joseph has all the reason in the world to doubt. But God has finished speaking through angels now. The word angel actually means messenger. That's what the word means. All right. So when you read of an angel in the Old Testament, we find out that these are the ones that were sent by God to speak a message to his people. But now we have the messenger. Now we have the word of God and it is this very word of God, he himself, who is fixing to be implanted into the womb of a teen virgin. This story is beautiful. And we're going to see a visitation. We're going to see a revelation. We're going to see an expectation. And we're going to see jubilation. We're going to see a visitation. We're going to see a revelation. We are going to see an expectation, and then we will see jubilation. Remember, 
all through the scriptures, we've seen this fact that he came to his own, his own did not receive him, but to all of those who receive him, to all of those that believe on him, he gives them the right to become children of God. <clears throat> and so this angel is going to come to Mary and he is going to bring a message of hope to Mary. Mary is going to receive that word. She's going to believe that word. She's going to experience that word in her life. And just like I said before, she's going to walk those truths out in her own life. We must not forget that in all the joy and the happiness that Jesus clothed himself in human flesh to come and suffer and die for us. We must not lose sight of the fact that as we dress our Christmas trees up with all the tinsel and the lights, that there was a tree waiting for him. We need to remember that he is the reason. He is the reason we celebrate. He is the reason we have breath in our nose. He is the reason that we have hope in our hearts. And we always need to make sure that he, the word of God, it's the foundation of what we believe and what we walk out in our lives and what we share with others. But Mary comes <clears throat> in the first verse there, verse 26, we see that in the sixth month, Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now remember, Nazareth is where Jesus is from, and it's about 60 miles north of, of the, the temple. Well, Mary, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah lived down in Jerusalem proper, and Mary's way up in the country. And one of the things that we're going to find out about Mary is, number one, that she's just a teen. We're going to find out that she's from the poor side of town. Nazareth is a, the working man's town. It's way up north, and those people talk funny, and they don't act like us. Mary was from a little small hick town way up above the big city. So this angel, Gabriel, comes, and he visits Mary and it said that she was a virgin. She was betrothed to Joseph. Now, most of y'all have probably heard this, but the betrothal process in that time happened something like this. A father would go and claim a bride for his son. And the way that he would claim that bride was usually he would offer a dowry. And then that, that uh, woman would be betrothed to her husband. And upon that betrothal, it was like an engagement for us today. Very similar to engagement for us today. But after this betrothal, usually there would be about one year where they would be separated. The husband and the wife would be separate, and the, and the his betrothed would be separated. And during that time, he would prepare a home for her. Usually it would be attached to his family's home. But after that one year or, or set apart period of time, he would then come and claim his bride and bring her into his home, and they would consummate the marriage, and they would be married. But during the betrothal process, it was just as good as being married. Once you were betrothed to a woman, you would have to go through a divorce in order to be separated from her. So the betrothal was a very official and, and very serious matter. So this young virgin was betrothed to Joseph. And if you notice, it said, who is of the house of David? Who is the house of David? Joseph is in the line of the tribe of Judah. And that is a very important fact because the Messiah, all of the Jewish people knew that their Messiah was going to come from the tribe of Judah. 
He was a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So coming in, the angel said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. To be favored, what does that mean? I have a favorite, right? Mary was favored by God. She found favor with God. From all of those millions of people in that whole area, God chose Mary and favored her. And he favored her to be the God-bearer, the one who bore God within her womb. It says, coming in, he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Most often time when God confronts us with his will, when God confronts us with the truth, it can be perplexing. There are a lot of things that we don't understand. But what Mary did understand is that an angel from God had come to visit her. So she's perplexed. She's puzzled. She's afraid. Because what does the angel say? Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. If you have God's favor in your life, there is no reason to be afraid. God's forgiveness, God's salvation casts out all condemnation. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you are in this room today and you are a child of God, do not be afraid. We have a hope that the world does not. We are favored. That is a blessing in itself. To know that the God that created this whole world, that hung the sun in the sky, loved you in particular and favored you. We don't have to be afraid when we have God's favor in our life. And we need to remember that Mary is the exact personification of the very people that God uses. Mary is a personification of the types of people that God uses. Mary is a believer. She has faith. We're going to see that in a minute because we're going to understand that she knew a lot more about Scripture than most of us. She had faith. She believed in God. She believed in His Word. She believed in His Scriptures. And not only did she have faith, but she was available. She was willing and available. She had faith and she was willing and she was available. Last of all, she had nothing to offer God. It was not within her ability to provide anything that God needed. God needed a womb. God did not need a man. God needed a womb. And God needed a virgin. Why? Because his word in the Old Testament promised that the Messiah would come through the seed of a woman. So Mary was faithful. She was a believer. Mary was willing and able and trusting of God. But Mary had nothing to offer God that he needed. 
We are the ones in need of God, not God of us. And God uses those who are weak. God uses those who are poor. God uses those who don't have the, the PhDs hanging on the wall. God uses those that are crippled and broken. God uses the brokenhearted. God uses the humble. God uses those that have nothing to offer him. Because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. The moment that we begin to rely upon ourselves is the moment that we're taking glory and reliance on God away. You see how that works? And so Mary was the very personification of the types of people that God uses to carry out his will. We have a visitation. This angel's come and he's visited her. Then we have revelation. We're going to see that the angel is going to have to explain to Mary what's going on here. This is not something that happens every day. Matter of fact, it's only happened one time. I hope that you can sympathize with Joseph who has a betrothed that goes off and visits her cousin and comes back pregnant and says, oh, this is God's baby. God's work in Mary's life, God's work in Joseph's life, God's work in the life of the children of Israel, God's work in the world around us is a miraculous work. It's not something that we can grasp. It's too big for us to see and to understand. And yet he gives us his word. He reveals to us through his word what he's doing. And by faith and by the spirit of God, we can take that word of God and begin to see God's work in our lives. And so the angel says there, Mary says, uh, the angel said, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. Now, remember the name Jesus. The word Jesus means what? Savior. All right. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord. The word Jesus means Savior. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one appointed by God to save his people. Jesus, Savior, Christ, the anointed one, and Lord. What does it mean to call him Lord? He is the boss of me. I don't know of any way simpler to explain that. We're going to see Mary in a minute say, I am your slave. And in the world that we live in today, slavery has an ugly connotation. But to be a slave of God is to be the freest creature on the earth. Mary is going to recognize that she is his servant. And so Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the Lord. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord, and the angel is saying, you're going to name your son Jesus. Um, in our Bible study, in our morning Bible studies, we remember that Jacob was wrestling with the angel. And what did the angel, what did Jacob ask the angel? What is your name? And what did the angel say? It's too great for you. Right? No longer. Now we know his name. His name is Jesus. Christ our Lord. And so she called you to call his name Jesus and Mary, and it said, um, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom shall have no end. Now, I want to look at a couple of the things that Gabriel is telling uh, Mary. Number one, he says that he will be great, verse 32. In verse 32, it also said he will be the son of the Most High. Have you ever thought about that, the Most High? What does that mean, the Most High? Yeah, you don't get any further up. He's at the top. Everything proceeds from him. He's the highest. All right? So this baby that she is going to conceive is going to be the son of the Most High. Let's look at a passage of Scripture because remember, all of these promises were proclaimed to the children of Israel through their prophets. And what we're going to see here is that Gabriel is simply reinforcing truths that they would have already known. Their Messiah is going to be a son of the Most High. And it says in Isaiah 9, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Remember, he is the gift. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end. Watch what it says. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And so this angel Gabriel is reminding Mary that her son will be great. He will be the son of the Most High. He will be the fulfillment of what the prophets promised you 800 years ago was going to happen. Not only will he be the son of the Most High, he will be given the throne of his father David. Now watch. Watch what it just said. He just said. Watch what Gabriel just said. He will be the son of the Most High. Who is the Most High? God. And he will also be of his father David. He is God. He is man. He is God. He is the son of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac. He's the son of Jacob. He's the son of Judah. He's the son of David. Son of God. Son of David. 100% man. 100% God. Their Messiah, they were looking for a Messiah. And they knew that their Messiah was coming from the tribe of Judah. And they knew that their Messiah was going to be a son of David. He would have to be in order to rule and reign. But not only is he a son of David and a son of Abraham, he's the son of God. And it says he will reign over the house of Jacob. He will reign over the house of Jacob. So look with me at 2 Samuel. I want to show you this. This is known as the Davidic covenant, and it was a promise that God made to David. And this is what it says. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, there is a dual play going on here. He's actually talking about Solomon. We'll see that in just a second. But he's also talking about the future son who is Jesus. So both of these are prophesied here. He says, I will raise up your descendants. He will build, oh, go ahead, you flip it. He will build a house for my name 
and I will establish his throne forever. All right? Well, what is the house that he built for his name? Well, there's a bunch of people over there in Israel right now fighting over that little mountain right now because a long time ago, his son Solomon built a house for his name. And they're fighting over it, trying to get it so that they can rebuild another house for his name. But we know that the real house is Jesus himself. We know that in the book of the Revelation, it tells us that in the new heaven, the new earth, the new kingdom, there won't be a temple because Jesus is the temple. The temple is the meeting place. The temple is the place that come, people come and meet God. And what we know is that that temple over there in Israel points us to the real temple, the real meeting place with God, who is Jesus. And so it said he will build, he will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. Well, the problem is, is that Solomon is dead and buried with his father, David. So it's, this prophecy has got to point to something future. What else does it say? I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. Well, that applies to Solomon. Solomon lost his kingdom. It was split in two because of his desire to marry foreign women and to allow them to worship foreign gods. And God did discipline Solomon. But you may say to me, you say, well, how in the world did that apply to Jesus? Because Jesus didn't commit any iniquity. But you know what the Bible does tell us? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might know the righteousness of God. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was suffering the rods and the strokes of men. But it wasn't for his iniquity. It was for ours. All right? And what's it say next? But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan, the messenger, spoke to David. So we have another messenger giving a word to his king. And I have you know, on the authority of the word of God, that Jesus is sitting on that eternal throne right now, fulfilling that promise that he made to David. He is sitting at the right hand of his father on the throne, and he is reigning and ruling right now. Now, you watch the news, and you see the world around you, and might say, it don't seem like he's reigning. But he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is in control. There's nothing happening in this world around you, nothing happening in your life, nothing happened to your family, nothing happening around you anywhere that God is up in heaven pulling his hair going, oh no, what am I going to do? He is the king. He is in control. And what you are seeing as a child of God is that he has blessed you, he has saved you, and he has given you a comfort and a peace that this world cannot have. And he's pouring out his wrath on this world by turning them over to their own desires, to their own lust, and to their own sin. And they are destroying one another. It's the same thing that he did with Abraham's kids when he put them in Egypt for 400 years. He said, the time is not right for you to go and take the promised land yet. It's going to be another 400 years because their time of iniquity has not been fulfilled. 
See, what had to happen was they stayed down in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And while they were there, those people in the land of Canaan were destroying one another. And weakening their civilization up to the point where his children could come in and take over. But God is reigning on his throne now. His son, Jesus Christ, is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he is on the throne now, ruling and reigning. And the promise is, is that he will eventually come back to this earth and establish that reign in front of our eyes. The invisible kingdom will then become visible. So he is the king and he is the uh, reigning over the house of Jacob and his kingdom is everlasting. I want to look at one more passage again to show you that this angel Gabriel is not telling uh, Mary anything that has not already been prophesied. Look at Daniel. I kept looking into the night vision and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Who are we seeing here? The father and the son. What's it say? And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and the nations and the men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Daniel is having a vision. God is speaking his truth to Daniel. Daniel is relaying that truth to us that we can know that this kingdom is not only for the sons of Jacob. It is for all of his people. Remember, before Abraham, there was 1,400 years of people. Adam was a believer. Abel was a believer. There was lots of believers before the nation of Israel was ever established. And not only that, after Jesus died on the cross, after his own people rejected him, he turned to the Gentiles. And now there's a people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I have others that are not of this fold, and I must go and bring them. And when I bring them, we will be one flock with one shepherd. And that's what you see happening before you in the world around you right now. There are a lot of Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But God has extended that offer of salvation, not only to just one little group of people in the middle of the Middle East. He's extended it to all four corners of the earth. And through the proclamation of the gospel, through the proclamation of his word, that promise is now going out to all peoples. And thank God it is because that's why you and I are believers today. So he has revealed to Mary what is going on. And then what does Mary reply? How can this thing be since I am a virgin? We so often lose sight of the beauty and the majesty of what God is doing Because we limit everything by what we know and what we see and what we feel. We try to fit God in our box instead of stepping into his. So the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, okay, so she said, how do I know this? How do I know this is going to happen He says, because the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you 
and place within your womb the child. That word overshadowing uh, would point Mary, it should point us back to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and there was a darkness over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God overshadowed, is what it's saying. The Spirit of God overshadowed that darkness, and what did he say? Let there be light. And in the same way that God overshadowed the void of cre- and created everything out of nothing, in the same way he's saying, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow the chaos that is within you and say, let there be light, and the light of the world is going to be planted in your womb. And he is going to bring salvation and order to the world. And so it says, uh, how can I know this? I'm a virgin. That don't make sense. And what did he say? Because the Holy Spirit is going to do it. So what does she have? She has the Word and she has the Spirit. And what happens when the Word and the Spirit work together in a person's life? They what? Believe. And then he says this. And behold, even your relative, Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. She who was called barren is now fruitful. You want proof? Go talk to your cousin down in Judah. She's too old to be having babies and she's six months pregnant. There's you some proof. And again, all through the scriptures, we've talked about this before, there's always this theme of barrenness that that as humans, as fallen sons of Adam and Eve, we are barren. We cannot do it on our own. It is through the power and the work of God that we become fruitful. And so he says, go there and see. And then it says this in verse 37. If y'all notice the sign outside today, this is the, uh, uh, I, I have to acknowledge Wayne that does an amazing job with the sign. I'm so thankful that every week I come by and see the new one up. Thank you for that. Uh, it, but the sign says, there is nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. And that is an amazing verse, and we can all claim that. There is nothing that will be impossible, but you've got to hear this. With God. See, there's lots of things that are impossible, especially when you are outside of the will of God. It is with God that all things are possible. It is only walking in his will and walking in his truth that makes the impossible possible. The impossible possible. It's by walking in his word, by walking in his truth, that we can see the magnitude and the magnificence of what he is really doing. And every one of you in this room can raise a hand and testify to the impossible nature of what he did in your life. And I want you to know this. God does answer prayers. And God does gift us with wonderful blessings. And some of your straying kids are going to come home. And some of your financial problems are going to work themselves out. And some of the sicknesses that we have will be cured. Why? Because with God, all things are possible. But we do need to hear this. It's only with God and his will. That's why we pray. 
And you're not going to change God's mind with your prayers. God does not change. The purpose of our prayers is for our hearts and our lives and our desires to fall in line with his. And we need to understand that our strength, family members, our loved ones, uh, our financial problems, our health problems are all within God's scope and ability to work out. But he's going to work it out according to his will. And what is it up to for me and you? To yield to his will for our lives. It's not an easy thing to do. But with God, all things are possible. So remember that. It's a wonderful promise to proclaim, but we always need to make sure that we hear that with God. That's important. Because it's his will. And so it says this, and uh, so we've seen this visitation from an angel, we've seen this revelation, and then we're going to see this expectation. Mary goes to visit her sister, or cousin Elizabeth, she said, Mary Rose, she went in a hurry to the hill country, she entered the house of Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, last time we were together, we saw John the Baptist, who was in the womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But this time, it's not John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's actually Elizabeth herself. And what happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, right? We don't fall on the floor, floth around and, and scream and yell in incoherent languages. When we have the Spirit of God in us, the Word of God is important and it comes out. The joy and the peace that we have because of his indwelling spirit allows us to see his truth, believe his truth, and to share his truth with others. And that's what Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit to do. She's going to reveal to uh, Mary, who has come there with a lot of questions, and help her to see some things. Look what it says. It says, um, now it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, young woman, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord was to come to me? What does Mary already know? That she is the one that's carrying her Lord in her. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb. John is a bouncing baby boy, isn't he? Well, why? Because the time for him to do what he was called to do is drawing closer and closer, and he's getting excited about it, even in the womb. The one that he has come to proclaim, the one that he has come to prepare a path for is now standing in the room with him. Both of them are in the womb, but they're standing close to one another. And this Christmas promise, this hope that the world has been looking for for all of its existence is now about to come to fruition. And so it says, she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you. The baby wept in my womb in verse 44. And then look what it says in verse 45. Very important part of our text. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what is spoken of by the Lord. The blessed ones are the believing ones. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, guess what? If you believe on him, you will not perish and you'll have an everlasting life. That means you are blessed. And the actual proper phrase is 
God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that all of the believing ones will not perish but have everlasting life. All of the believing ones. Everyone that believes in his word will be saved. Look what it says again, verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken by the Lord. Do you believe him? That's what it all boils down to. Do you believe his word? So, we now have exaltation or jubilation, if you will. Mary is now happy and she's going to sing, burst forth in praise, right? Uh, We got up here this morning and and led you in some songs of praise and worship. And it's tough sometimes doing that. It's hard to get people to smile when they sing. But boy, when your team wins the game the night before, you can sure exalt and jubilate, can't you? You see, because what's important in our heart is going to come out on our face and in our words and in our songs. And what's important to Mary that she has been given the gift of eternal life. She has been given the giver of eternal life to dwell within her womb. And so what's she going to do? She's going to praise him. She's going to exalt him. She says, Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice that. Mary needed a Savior. Mary's a sinner. Mary needs a Savior. My spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. What did he do? He came to save us. And guys, he didn't come just to save us from hell, which he did. But he came to save us from the bondage of sin. To set us free to be the people who we were created to be. Instead of the people that our fallen nature in this world is trying to make us into. He has set us free to serve him and to love him and to believe him. And to enjoy him and to share him with others. The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation of those who fear him. So now she's going to go into all of the blessings of those that fear him. It says, he has done mighty deeds with his arms. Now, think about this. Think about how we're coming out of the Old Testament. It's been 400 years of dead silence. Now the angels have been speaking and letting them know that God is about to do something about their condition. And so Mary is thinking back over all of the Old Testament stories. He's done mighty deeds with his arms. He split the Red Sea, didn't he? He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts and in their hearts. Y'all remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Spent seven years crawling around on the ground thinking he was a cow eating grass, right? The king of the greatest empire in the world became a fool. He has scattered those who are proud in their hearts. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones. Pharaoh, Saul, Nebuchadnezzar. He's exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. Over and over and over again, all through the Old Testament, we see God who loves his people who believe him and walk with him. And he blesses them with the things that they need. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So Mary is recalling 
all of the scriptural accounts of all of the mighty works that God has done, and now they are being accumulated or fulfilled in the, the last work that needs to be done, which is the Savior coming into the world, his death, burial, resurrection. And she is celebrating that. She's happy about that. So I'll finish with this. We've got about two minutes left. I want to, look what it says. He spoke to our father, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So these are promises that God has made to Abraham and his descendants forever. If any of you in this room are, are looking in a, in a King James Bible right now, it will say this. It will say, he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. Seed and descendants is the same. It means the same thing. You plant a seed, you get a tree. Whatever kind of seed you plant, that's the kind of tree you get. And so what he's saying is, is God has made promises to Abraham and his seed. Now, I want to finish the message today on talking about the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham. Because all through the Bible, we're going to see how important a concept this is. The seed of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. Remember? And this, this heritage, this seed is very important. But in the Bible, the seed of Abraham is expressed in different ways. The seed of Abraham is expressed in different ways. So it says he spoke to Abraham and his seed forever. So Abraham's seed was a physical seed. God promised that Abraham would be the fathers of many generations. So in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 5, it says this. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. So who is Abraham's seed going to be? It's going to be a multitude of nations, ethnos, peoples. So it's not just about Israel because it is a physical seed. So that means that Abraham's physical seed is actually Ishmael and Isaac. They are all of the physical seed. So Abraham's seed was physical, but that's not the most important thing. Because in John 8, 39, Jesus said this. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. If you are of your father Abraham, then act like him. He heard my word and believed me. So not only is it that this seed through the scriptures is a physical seed because just because you are the physical seed of Abraham does not mean you're a child of God. Amen. But there was a spiritual seed involved. God promised a seed that was more numerous than all of the stars in the heavens or all the sand on the seashore. Jesus made it clear that the possibility of being a physical descendant of Abraham was not all that mattered. You had to be a, a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Look at Romans 9, verses 6 and 8. Look what the Apostle Paul said. It is not though the word of God has failed, for though they are not all Israel who descended from Israel. All right, what's it say next? Nor are they children because they are Abraham's descendants, 
but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as his descendants. That is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was Jewish. Nicodemus was from the tribe of Levi. But he said, your Jewish heritage is not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. You have to be born again. You have to be of the spiritual seed of Abraham. Look what uh, Paul says in Galatians 3. The true children, he said, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It is those who are of faith that are the sons of Abraham. Verse, uh, Galatians 3.29 says this, Nationality is irrelevant to belonging to Christ. It's Abraham's true offspring are the heirs of the promise. If you belong to Christ, how many of you in this room belong to Christ? All right. Then you are heirs according to the promise. The promise that Abraham got was not only given to the children of Israel, it was given to all of those who had the same faith as Abraham. The ones before him, and thank God, the ones after him. All right, last thing, and then we're done. Most significantly, the ultimate seed. So not only do we have Abraham's physical seed, but we have Abraham's spiritual seed. So King David would have been of the physical seed and the spiritual seed of Abraham. King Saul would have been of the physical seed, but not the spiritual seed. You see how that works? And you and I are of the spiritual seed of Abraham, but we're not of the physical seed because we're not Jewish. But the one seed is the most important. Look what Paul said. Now the promises spoken to Abraham is said to his seed. And he does not say and to many seeds as referring to many, but rather to one seed. And that seed is Christ. You see, that seed that was planted in Mary's womb is the one who is responsible for all of the children of God. Through his suffering, we become heirs. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we become heirs to the promise. So, with all of that said, we begin our journey now for the next four or five weeks into the fulfillment of the promise of the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. And I hope that you will take some time to read these passages in the gospel on your own and think about what a beautiful gift you have been given. There is nothing you have ever received under a tree that can compare to what he purchased on that tree for you. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this time that we have had together in your Word. I thank you so much for the faithful examples that we have of Mary and Elizabeth. Um, I'm so thankful for your word and your spirit that we have that can help us to know these truths. And my prayer is for every man and this woman in this room to be able to grow in their joy and their exaltation of the revelation of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.